Well, good morning, church family. I'd also like to thank you for joining us in worship here today. And we, this morning, are going to do a, something a little bit different here during the message time. Zach and I are going to share this time. We're going to talk about some of our scriptures. We're going to ask each other some questions along the lines of this topic, Christian living in a toxic culture. So we thought a holiday weekend would be a good time to try something different. Uh, and in the 8.30 service, we really had a, a good time doing this together. So I want to invite you to stand. And Therese is going to read this morning from our first passage of scripture from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers not so the wicked they are like the shaft that the wind blows away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction amen thank you, you may be seated I mentioned in the 8.30 service that I'm used to having the pulpit in front of me. There's no protection between me and I feel vulnerable in front of this yeah. group. Do you think this group looks more threatening or less threatening than the 8.30? Oh, I wasn't ready for that question. Uh, <laughs> I put you on the spot. The answer is less, less. Well, obviously. That's what you, what you want to say. Um, this is a, really a, a unique thing that we're doing this morning, but... We, we want to be able to share this time, and uh, last week I, I got to share the message time with Glenn. He did the entire Sermon on the Mount from memory, so I'm excited to see what you're going to bring <laughs> to the table this morning. Yeah, I jokingly this week said, no, I'm going to memorize the whole book of Matthew and bring that. Yeah, let's just stay here for a while. Yeah. Uh, notice I'm not putting any pressure on myself, only on Zach. But this morning I wanted to begin, uh, and we're going to both just talk for a moment about this text in Psalm 1. That, that really flows so beautifully out of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was talking so much in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 about godly wisdom, what it looks like to put into practice the things that the Lord reveals to us and the things that Jesus has modeled. And isn't it interesting that the book of Psalms, though it is filled with every kind of prayer and song possible, the book of Psalms begins with wisdom. And it brings us back to to seeing the world in the way that God would have us to see it so that we might walk the paths of righteousness. Like we said during the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's not enough to just step onto the narrow road. We have to walk that road. And here the Psalms use the language of walking in the footsteps of the Lord himself, walking behind him and step with him so that what, what he delights in, that's what we delight in. And I love this imagery of a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season because we we saw a, a living picture of this in israel just a few months ago as many of you may have seen if you visited israel before you've probably gone on a tour of the wilderness perhaps even a tour of the desert one of the places where we actually sat down 
and had a Bible study when we went on our trip a couple of months ago was out in the middle of the desert but sitting by a tree that was planted by a living stream of water, living water and it was growing beautifully and producing fruit just like the psalmist describes and the picture I, I believe that the psalmist has for us is exactly that that even when everything else around looks like death Every, everything else around you is dried up and, and it looks like there's no life to be found there. This picture of a tree that's not nourished by rain, it's not nourished by all of this, the, the conditions that are around it, but it is nourished by a stream of living water so that its roots might run deep and that it might be as it's nourished with living water, a tree that produces fruit and brings life into the world that is death all around. And, and, and like we're called to do, can bring light into a world where darkness is all around us. And sitting in that, that desert and looking at that tree, and, and not far away from where we were was the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is called dead for a reason. Nothing can live and survive there. But you saw this beautiful place where life was being produced because of the living water. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches us, that even when all around us is darkness and death, the living water that the Lord produces will not only give life to us, but will help us be the kind of people who give life to others. Definitely. One of the things I, just to piggyback onto that, was as you were talking, it, I saw this firsthand happen, and I think Darren Spoo at First Baptist has mentioned this before, but a couple of weeks ago, I, I decided I was tired of all the grass that was in the cracks in my driveway. I, I mean, it, it's getting really thick, and even though I weed, weed them down, I finally decided I'm going to research, I'm going to get a tool. And so I did. I started working in on some of those cracks and digging up all of that grass. And I had, and I, I'm si sitting back thinking, wow, that looks so much better. But I kid you not, a few days ago I took a look. Grass was growing once again in, the, in that same crack, but I had just dug up all of that. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, what in the world? How, how is that grass still coming up through those areas? And so as we read Psalm 1, I just think of us as Christians. Sometimes that's, you know, growing in some of those tough places. Uh, yet as we study and read God's word, uh, we definitely can do that as we remain in him. And so one of the things I really tie to in Psalm chapter 1 is seeing that we need to be people that delight in God's word. And I think we saw that on pure display last week as Glenn so beautifully gave us the Sermon on the Mount. It, you know, that wasn't just a performance, and that wasn't just memorization. Uh, but in Glenn, I saw someone that truly delights in God's word mm -hmm. and, and really just portrayed that to us. And uh, uh, another one I think of is Arlen Kaiser, our Sunday school teacher, when we were in high school together. He had this passage memorized, and I remember sometimes he'd come in and just read it from memory. And as he read that, again, I would see someone that just, you know, didn't think, oh, I'm going to memorize this for fun. But someone that truly loved God's word, and that would come out of them. And so as we are Christians living in this time, uh, if I spent some time with you this week, I would truly start to see what you delight in, where you spend time in. And I hope that as you spend time with me, you would see those same kind of characteristics, that I'm, I'm someone that I do love God's word, and, and I do love spending time with him. I want to remain in him, because I know that's truly the only way I'm going to be able to operate appropriately uh, in the world around me. And, and this idea of delighting in the law of the Lord is then contrasted in the next three verses of Psalm 1, because there are many other things around us that we could say we take our delight in. And, and the psalmist contrasts the wicked so the righteous one is the one who walks in step with the Lord, who's walking in the wisdom of the Lord, who is, is sourced by living water and is, is himself or herself a, a, a form of life giving to others. 
Not so are the wicked, though. All that they delight in are things that are going to, going to pass away tomorrow. They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. The things that they give all of their energy to, they give all of their life to, are things that, that aren't going to last. They're not eternal, they, they don't matter. If we're walking in step with the Lord, then our hearts, even when we're tempted, aren't drawn to those things. But those who are drawn to those things, the psalmist says, they're not on the path that leads to life. They're on the path that leads to destruction. And as we talk about some, some topics this morning, we're going to ask each other some hard questions. Somebody after the 8.30 service said, well, when I read the topic, I thought it was going to go one of two ways. Either you all were going to get up and say, well, we just need to go along with everything that's around us and just, just make peace with all of it. Or you were going to say, we just need to obliterate all of our enemies, our opponents. And I said, it's, it's neither of those two things. Because neither of those things are the path of righteousness or the example that the Lord has set for us. But building our lives upon, upon the foundation of the word of God, delighting in the law of the Lord, even as toxic as our culture is around us now, I believe that there are ways forward in righteousness and in obedience. And so, Zach, since the first question is a really hard one, I'm going to give it to you. What are some of the biggest challenges that you see right now in talking about hard issues? Some of my, and I called it earlier, just my observations. This is kind of how I see the world. And so uh, one of the things I came back to is I, as I think about hard topics or hard discussions, uh, one of the challenges is it feels like, you know, anytime we try to, as Christians or, or people who follow the Lord and follow a biblical worldview, it feels like as soon as topics come up that are against our worldview or our biblical worldview, it feels like it gets very argumentative quick or it feels like it gets very tense quick. It feels like we can't even truly have a conversation with someone else that differs from us because it feels like it just goes to a place quickly uh, that's you know not where any of us are comfortable. I don't know about you. I don't like confrontation. I don't like to get into big arguments with people. Uh, that's not a comfortable place for me. Uh, for most of us, I would probably sense that that's not where you would want to be either. Uh, so one of the things I come back to again is scripture because I can't control those uh, actions or reactions from the world. And as Eric said, you know, I've been called to live appropriately as a Christian. I've been called to, to uh, be someone that uh, shows others uh, the way of Christ. And, but there's a way I need to, to do that. And there's an appropriateness to that as well. So there's some uh, scriptures I want to go back to. And I like to go back to Proverbs. And I like to say one of the best places I think we can even you know, intersect with the culture is, is with wisdom literature. Uh, because it's hard to argue with, with good wisdom. Uh, and if you can look at some of these scriptures, it would be hard. Even if you were someone that was not a Christian or following a biblical worldview, you can take some of these passages from Proverbs and probably say, you know, that does sound pretty right on. And so some of these that I look at are Proverbs 15, 18, where it says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. But the one who is patient calms a quarrel. And I think as a, as a godly person, as a person that follows Christ, I want to be that. I want to be a patient per person who can help calm or bring some peace to situations. I like this one in Proverbs 16 where it says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. And so one of the terms we often hear in our culture right now is a keyboard warrior. Someone that likes to get on social media, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. They not only like to post their thoughts and opinions, but they like to go to stir up trouble with other people that have posted thoughts and things. And so they are considered a keyboard warrior. And we always joke that they're sitting in a basement somewhere in their parents' house, just, you know, constantly all day wanting to stir up trouble. And so God would say, you know what? Don't be that person. 
You don't need to be a keyboard warrior. I love what he says there. He says, better a patient person. Now, I'm not saying you can't, you know, mix it up and, and, and enter the fray and, and, you know, share things. But what I would say is we need to use wisdom and discernment when we do decide we need to say something. And so better a patient person who recognizes I need to utilize self-control when it does come time, when I need to know, you know, just as important as it is time to say something is as is, is important that I need to recognize when I shouldn't say anything as well. And so there's kind of a balance there. We also see in Proverbs 20, verse 3, it is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Um, so again, these, these passages in Proverbs are very dear to me because those are things I know I can control how I act and how I live uh, in a culture around me that uh, isn't following a biblical worldview. And, and I also like what Paul brings to the table in 2 Timothy. He gives Timothy instruction on how to live his life. Uh, but then I love how he turns to the opponents and how we are to deal with our opponents or our enemies uh, as Eric mentioned earlier, you know, that's, sometimes that's how we feel. Uh, the, the world around us gets us so stirred up and angry, we feel like our enemy and our opponent we want to destroy. Mm -hmm. And yet God has a different vision for those who are different than us. And it says here in 2 Timothy, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Oh, friends, isn't it better to look at your enemy as someone that God values and has a desire to see them come to Christ and come to the Lord? Mm -hmm. And I, I, all those things it says there that there's, you know, we need to have a hope that those who don't have a biblical worldview would come to a place and come to Christ and begin to take on a biblical worldview and see them come to repentance. I like that a much better thinking of my opponent coming to Christ rather than seeing them completely destroyed. Because friends, that's God's heart that they would come to Christ and, and escape the, the lostness and the lies of the devil who entraps them and who has taken them to do his will. And so that leads, as we uh, go into, I get to ask the next question of our pastor. And so, uh, and so one of these things, talking about how to control ourselves, how we have right attitudes and actions. And I want to ask you, uh, it's hard to be a leader in a toxic culture, definitely. Uh, how have you experienced some toxicity personally? This is another one of those times where people probably would like for me to name names, but I'm not going to name any names, and I certainly wouldn't be naming names in this room, honestly. Uh, I have been, especially recently, so blessed, even in a position of leadership in our church, to find here, the vast majority of the time, nothing but encouragement and folks who, who are, are wanting to walk the same path as we. We know that things are difficult. We've been living for the last two and a half years through one of the strangest times the world has ever known. And it's been interesting that I would have maybe thought going into this time with the pandemic and everything else that's been going on, that it would increase the amount of conflict in our church or it would increase the amount of toxic things that I receive, but the, the opposite has been true. We, for, for whatever reason, as the Lord has led us through this time together, I feel like we've all built more trust and we've been building our lives and been building the, the atmosphere of our church upon the things of the Lord and the unity that we have in the gospel. Uh, I feel like these last two and a half years plus have sharpened me in some ways where I needed to be sharpened. And that's probably happened for you too. And so I can say that, that overall, if I've experienced toxicity personally recently, I'm sure I got all those words right, 
it's not been from people I know. You know, if, you, if you're a leader, if you write things, if you say things, or honestly these days, if you're just online at all, people you don't know are going to say hateful things to you. People who hide behind anonymous accounts, they don't identify themselves, you don't know them, they don't know you, or if they know you, they're not brave enough to tell you who they really are. Those are the people who just seem to be like you described. They take joy in spending hours a day getting online, stirring things up, trying to pick fights. And oftentimes what I'll say to people is, you are not going to drag me into that. If, if somebody wants to drag me into to the lowest common denominator of, of dialogue, I will say to them, if you want to be down on that level, that's your choice, but you're not going to drag me into it. And so most of that I've, I've not experienced personally. Now, to answer the question honestly, in my first couple of years here as pastor, it was a little bit more challenging. Part of that was because there were just growing pains and us getting to know each other. Back then, I was a younger pastor. Okay, I can't really say that as much six years later. But back then, I was a younger pastor, and, and we all just had to get to know each other better. I didn't do everything personally. You didn't do everything uh, perfectly. But uh, during those times, yeah, there were times where I received some things that weren't very kind, and there's some folks who, who sort of made a habit out of not being kind, and they no longer go to our church. But I would always notice during those times when I would receive some things that I thought were, were personal in nature, I would receive two or more things that week from others that were kind, and they were encouraging. And the Lord would remind me that most people choose not to behave that way. And so, so those are things that are more in the past and not today. But, but honestly, we all, we're living in such a toxic culture. We all experience it sometimes, and it's around us. And so uh, my, my encouragement for all of us is that, uh, as Psalm 1 says, we would continue to seek those things that are sourced from the living water of the Lord and His Word. And we know that those are the things that are going to give us life and, and help us give life to others. All right, so now I have a question for you. All right. So you are in a, a very unique position here in your role at South Tulsa in that you work with every single age group as a part of your job. I do too, but, but in our, our Sunday Bible study realm and so many other parts of church life, you work with everybody from babies all the way up to the oldest adults in our church. So what are some struggles or some positive things that you see in common between the age groups in our church? And then what are some struggles or positive things that maybe are unique to some of the age groups in our church? Yeah, definitely. And so not only do I work with those in the church, I also, within my own family, my wife and I have five kids. So we have a preschooler, uh, two in the children's ministry, and uh, two in the student ministry now. So we also have a family that represents a wide swath of people inside of our own home. Uh, but I would say a common struggle, I think, for all of us, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, is, is as Christians, you know, we're not ashamed of the gospel. At least we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. We shouldn't be ashamed of Christ. I think the struggle comes in um, knowing when, knowing what, knowing how to address the things that come up. Um, because there are times that we do need to speak up. There are times that we do need to take a stand on things. Uh, but we want to, like we've already said, we want to do that appropriately. We want to take the right path in that. So what I say is that struggle of knowing how, when, what to do will lead us into a couple places. It will either lead us to a place of fear, which can lead to anger or lashing out, uh, can lead us to a place where we are just constantly angry or bitter or frustrated. Uh, it can also lead us to a place of withdrawal where, you know, we would just say, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to just, you know, 
I jokingly said earlier, uh, I'm just going to sell my house, move to the country, and just get away from every, anything and everyone, and just try to live a peaceful life. Get off the grid. Get off the grid, that's right. <laughs> Sometimes that does sound nice, I would have to admit. Uh, but you know, but God has called us to engage. God has called us to take stands. God has called us to be people who would be ambassadors for Him and for His truth. Uh, so, uh, what it needs to do as we see things going on around us, it needs to lead us to a position of prayer. Uh, to a position of spending time in his word and truly saying, Jesus, please help us, give us wisdom, and give us discernment on when to say something, on when to not say something. So I think that's just a common struggle that I see in us. Um, and as I look at different you know, age groups, um, the positives and, the, and the, the struggles, for our senior adults, I know there's a lot of concern. You've lived a lot of life. You've, you've got a lot of wisdom to give. There's definitely a lot of concern with what you see with this generation, a lot of confusion, because I know I feel that too at times, um, trying to understand where they're coming from, why they're doing what they're doing, why they're saying what they're saying. Um, so my senior adults, I know, I, I see that concern from you all. And so once again, uh, but a positive take from being overly concerned is you have a lot of wisdom to give. And so praying for ways that you can interject the wisdom that God's given you just through uh, you know, years of being someone who walks with him and also just has lived a lot of life. There's a lot you can give uh, in a positive way. Uh, for my younger adults, uh, you know, the concern we talked about this week is concerning that sometimes it is easier just to say, you know what, fine. I just, you know, that's just the way it needs to be. Okay, I, I accept, I give in, I affirm whatever you all want to do out there because that would keep us from a lot of arguments and a lot of strife. Uh, so I get concerned sometimes when I, feel, I see them. I see the, the pressure and the, and the tension and see a concern that you know, maybe it would just be easier just to give in. And so for my young adults, I, I don't want that for them either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing I love about them is, especially we've got some on our staff in their 20s, uh, to see their fresh vision and their fresh uh, ideas and thoughts in, in helping us connect to the generation that they're a part of. And so we need to kind of merge all that. We need mm-hmm. to take our wisdom that we have and merge it in with freshness and ideas and things that they're saying. And then for us, kind of in the middle area, uh, we, we have the you know, tough time at times of just kind of bridging that gap of these two different extremes and we're in positions of leadership and so we're trying to figure out what are some of the best ways that we can help and so I say there's a, there's a struggle and a positive with that, a struggle uh, we've seen and, and some of the research is showing that there's just a lot of mental health concerns and issues, people seeking, more people seeking out counseling than ever before because of what has taken place and what we have walked through. Uh, but as people in our age group, uh, we, we also uh, do our best to, to stay away from extremes. We truly want to kind of find a place where we can come to the middle ground again and say we want a place at the table, especially with those that are different from us, to be able to help communicate in a positive way uh, what Christ has done for us and, and the hope that we have in Jesus. We don't want to be you know, just yelling from different sides, but truly saying, hey, can we come together in a, in a, in a right way uh, to take care of each other? And, and I want to just comment on this question from my perspective as, as a pastor. Oh, by the way, in 830, you called us middle-aged. Oh, right true. there, you just said middle people, but middle you people. did call us middle, middle-aged. But what's interesting is for, for Zach and I are both Gen Xers. We're from Generation X. And sometimes we feel a little bit sandwiched in between the conflict that exists between the boomers and the millennials. Not sure we're supposed to say that out loud, but it exists. And, and we struggle there in our generation because we want to say to the millennials, look, the boomers are our parents and we love them and they, they have a lot of wisdom. They've lived more life than we have and we want to, to, to learn from them. They, they're not wrong about everything. And then we want to say to the, to the boomers, 
the same thing. The millennials are not wrong about everything. And, and listen, we as the Gen Xers or, or the middle adults or middle aged or whatever we are, our job is to invest in that generation coming behind us. And at some point, we're going to hand things over to them and they're going to be the leaders. And so we really need our, our parents and I guess our little brothers and sisters to get along and, and to see the value in each other. And I think part of that happens just by starting at a common place of grace and to say to each other, I care about you. I care about you, and, and I, because I care about you, I'm willing to take a listening posture, even if I have to bite my tongue as hard as possible. I'm willing to take a listening posture and listen to you. And listen, there may be some topics you need to take off the table for Thanksgiving this year because they only lead to more conflict. But if we love each other, then we ought to be able to talk about anything. And I think one of the strengths we have here at South Tulsa is that we have every generation and we have every age group represented. And one of the things we're trying to get better at, we're not perfect at it, but we're trying to get better at, is to not have all of our age groups or stages of life be siloed off from each other, but to take advantage of the intergenerational opportunities we have here for relationships where we can make friends with people who are from different generations and may think differently than us about things and learn from each other and grow with each other in a common ground position that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives. Because if we can all start there, no matter what generation we're from, we have the most important thing in common, that we have given our lives to Jesus Christ. And then we, if we build upon that foundation, I think we can uh, avoid a lot of those conflicts. There's a story that I heard recently that I think really illustrates well where where some of the breakdown happens first of all the story was told uh, about a woman named Nancy French some of you may have heard of Nancy French uh, she's a well-known author and Christian leader and has been for many decades just recently she acknowledged publicly that when she was younger she had been a victim of abuse and so she's actually been going from place to place and and being willing to very bravely share her story about abuse and how God has helped her heal and her husband David has been going with her to a lot of these places and it's been amazing to see that that's been a, a new space of impact that Nancy's been able to have well she was speaking at a university and and she was sort of in a setting like this where she was being asked some questions by a moderator and she was being very open and honest about the struggles that she's had and they did a very brave thing they opened up the the time for questions from the audience the very first person who came up to ask a question was a young man and he asked the question in a very aggressive way in a way that when he asked the question the whole room basically had like a collective groan because it sounded like he was going on the attack and the question that the young man asked Nancy was because the Bible tells us to forgive people does that mean you've forgiven your abuser and he asked it in a very aggressive way and, and the question took Nancy French so off guard that she literally got up and walked off the stage and didn't take any more questions. Her husband followed her in, into the back and some others went to comfort her. And of course, her husband was ready to go out and, you know, and fight this young man. And Nancy said, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be, be shut down like that. I'm going to go back out there and I'm going to address his question personally. And as she went out, she didn't realize what had happened in the room while she had stepped out. They let the young man speak first. And he said, Miss French, I am so sorry if my question came across as hostile. 
I wasn't trying to pick a fight with you. I am also a survivor of abuse. And I was just really, really nervous when I asked you the question. And the reason I asked you that question about forgiving your abuser is because I've been struggling with that myself. I've been wondering if that's something that, that God wants me to do. And I, I, I didn't mean it as a hostile question. I meant it as truly asking somebody who's been walking the same road. And it ended up being this amazing moment where they had an embrace and they, they found this common ground and there was nothing but mutual forgiveness and love. And where did the breakdown happen? It happened just because there was a misunderstanding of tone and there was a misunderstanding of intention from a younger person to an older person. And in that process, I thought, wow, if that can happen in a room where somebody's asking a question on a microphone in front of a crowd, how often do we mis just misunderstand tone and intention when it's in an email or when it's online or when it's social media? And sometimes part of the breakdown is just us assuming the worst in people when maybe we should start by giving them the kind of grace that we would want to experience. So I think that leads well into our next scripture reading as, as Teresa is going to come back up. And we're going to now read from the New Testament from 1 Peter chapter 2. Teresa, if you'll read for us once again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the Emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people live as free people but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil live as God's slaves Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. If you go to the book of 1 Peter and look in the beginning of chapter 1, Peter actually tells us who he's writing to. He lists out, he calls them foreigners and exiles at the beginning of the book, and he talks about all the different places where people were living who were going to receive this letter that we today call First Peter. These are folks who were dispersed all over the Mediterranean. Most of them were literally exiles or foreigners. They were living in places that were not their home, and they had been dispersed because of persecution. And it's amazing if you read through all the list of the folks to whom Peter is writing this large group of Christians all came from different backgrounds. They had different skin colors. They came from different cultures. 
They came from different nationalities. Many of them, before they began following Christ, had very different religious backgrounds. And yet here in chapter 2, Peter says, what I'm calling you to focus on is not your differences, but what I'm calling you to focus on and to remember is that now you are completely different people than you used to be before Christ transformed your life. Now, whether you're from a, a, another background, a different race, a different religion, whatever, whatever your background was, what you have in common now is that you are a chosen people. You're all a chosen people because you've received Christ's salvation. And, and you're like a royal priesthood. All of you can call out to the Lord and speak to your creator directly because of what Christ has done. And you are a, a holy nation, even though you're not all from the same nation. You're not all from the same nationality. You're not even living, most of you, in your homelands. What makes you a holy nation is that you are the people of God. You are his treasured possession. You once didn't know the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. But now that you know that mercy, you are the people of God. And so, when you feel like this world is not your home, because it's not, when you feel like you are living as foreigners and exiles here, live such good lives in view of your neighbors that even if they don't believe like you do, they will maybe even glorify God when Christ returns because they see the way that you're living. They see your righteousness. They see your obedience. Live such good lives in view of those who are outside of your faith that they too will glorify God because of the way that you live. Don't focus on your differences. Don't fo focus on the things that divide you, but focus on your identity in Christ, which is the thing that you all share no matter where you come from. And, and then Peter transitions to talking about Christian citizenship. He says it, it is important the way that we live and the way that we speak in the public square. And, and when Peter talks about the emperor here, lest we think that this was some wonderful Christian person who was leading the Roman Empire. No, no Peter was, was writing this at a time when, when leadership was evil and had evil intentions and Christians were being persecuted. And yet, even in the midst of that kind of culture and toxicity, Peter says, the way we live is so important because our neighbors are watching and a lost world is watching. And our call is to demonstrate to them the marvelous light that has brought us out of the darkness and death of our sin. And so, Zach, as a, as a sort of a practical way as we're wrapping up this morning... I want you to tell us about some of the ways that you and your family have opened your lives to your actual neighbors on your street as your house has become a, a place where you've been able to do some amazing ministry in these four years that you've lived here. Tell us about some of the ways that you all have been opening your lives to your neighbors. Definitely. We, uh, and it starts even when we were first looking for a house as we were getting ready to move here four years ago from Texas. And we looked at this house online, and it was one on a list. We wanted to see it, so we got to see it. And it was, you know, it was all right. We kind of checked off some boxes, but there was still, it was lacking some things. And so, so we continued to look for different houses. And what was amazing as we look back is, you know, we would step foot in the house, and there was a couple that we really liked and were ready to make offers on. But even as we were opening up, you know, our realtor would be like, oh, man, now that I'm looking at this, it's already under contract. Or, you know, now this one's gone pending. And so it was amazing to see, you know, we really look back and feel like God planted us in that place 
specifically uh, to begin to, you know, get to know our neighbors, get to know the people around us. And so, uh, you know, and especially through a time of COVID, which kept us at home a lot, we really began to just sit outside and, and be outside and watch our kids play outside. And through that, our neighbors began to come outside and, and our kids began to play. And so we began to just really get to know each other and begin to eat meals in one another's homes and, and just really spent some great time. And then through activities here at the church this summer, we got to see uh, them come to VBS and even one of our neighbors uh, made a decision to follow the Lord. Um, and we're now working with them and talking with him about uh, being baptized. And so you'll get to see them uh, walk through that process. Uh, and our across the street neighbor uh, is just a, has become a great friend and his family as well. And, and he answered a call to surrender to ministry last year at False Creek as he went with us as well. And so we just, you know, and, and that's nothing you know, special about us other than we just really took it seriously to get to know the people right around us. And so that can happen for everyone. If And, and some of you, uh, unfortunately, you know, we, we know there's neighbors that are a little more difficult to get to know. And so we've had those kind of neighbors as well. And, and so, uh, but through it all, we've even had some difficult situations with certain uh, people around us. And you know what? We just made a choice of, we're just going to be nice and love them. Even if they're saying mean or, or, or not being very hospitable, I'm going to make a decision just to be kind and compassionate and just take care of them. And so we've seen God work even in some of those situations, not just here, but in other places we've lived. And so that's always just been such a blessing uh, to get to know them. And then I'll kind of close this section with, uh, as I was taking my seminar at uh, Southeastern in uh, world religions and, and helping people of other faiths come to Christ, uh, one of the most important things that we can do as Christians as we lead someone to Christ to keep them from going back to their previous faith is to invest in them. And so we need to take time to not only see people as lost and needing Christ, but when they do make a decision to follow the Lord, that, that is like not the time to be done with a person, but that is just the very beginning to know now, now I need to begin to invest. Because some faiths and some cultures, it can take years of investment and in, in meeting and being with people and just loving people to truly see them become disciples of Christ and walk truly and, and come to spiritual maturity. So how important it becomes for us uh, to invest in those around us, whether it's a neighbor in our neighborhood or whether it's someone at your work, whether it's someone in your family or a friend uh, to recognize, you know, we have a, a job to do as well, not just leading them to Christ, uh, but also spending time uh, investing in others becomes so crucial as well. Well, we, we had planned a lot of other things to discuss, and just like in the 8.30 service, we're running out of our time. So we may do a part two someday. Um, not next week, though, because next week we're starting the book of Amos, and I'm really excited about that. But at some point, we may follow up with this. I know you had a couple of questions you wanted to ask me sort of as we close, and I want to be able to use these questions as a, as a way to, to move into a time where you can have a, a time of of worship in response with the Lord. So Definitely. ask me these last couple of questions and I'm going to stand up to right, answer them, good. okay? Uh, the, the question I had for him were, you know, it, when we start focusing or talking about difficult times, difficult topics, uh, sometimes our focus gets into those places. And so sometimes it can really feel hopeless. And I remember even being on a walk last week and just looking up at the stars and just praying, saying, God, I, sometimes I feel hopeless when I look at what's going on around me. And I truly need to see you know, how you would lead us. And so one of my questions would be, you know, what gives you hope uh, in the midst of sometimes it almost seems like a hopeless situation around us? Well, one of the reasons Zach and I wanted to talk about this today is because uh, a couple of weeks ago, Zach, myself, and Philip White, we got to go to this really neat conference. And the, the main topic of the conference was about Christian engagement on social media. And there was a young lady who was, was teaching one of the sessions and 
all she does all day is, is be on social media and, and measure reactions and look at uh, how social media companies are behaving. She spends her whole life in that social media world. And we asked her this question, what, what gives you hope? And her answer was, not much. And, and that, to me, is, was so, such a heartbreaking response. But it makes sense if you're spending all of your life in that digital world and in social media world. What gives me hope are the living, breathing relationships I get to have every day. And when I look around at our, our church family, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But I, I feel like we do a good job overall at keeping the main things in front of us and not letting the, the, that toxicity come into this place. We could all probably do a little bit better in person and online, okay? We're not perfect. We're all still in process. But what gives me a lot of hope are, are, is the relationships we have here. In fact, this summer we were at a, a, a big meeting where some Christians were behaving badly, <laughs> Okay, that's all that could be like the topic of a sermon Christians behaving badly Some Christians were behaving badly and I said to our group that was there that does not represent our church That is not the way we do things. That's not the way we lead That's not the way our teachers teach That's not what you would experience on most sundays or wednesdays or other times when our church family gets together So I have a lot of hope because of you um, I have a lot of hope when I'm around our teenagers like this morning. I got to teach with our teenagers We have some wonderful young people in our church and they give me a lot of hope for the future But the most important I, reason I have hope and please don't hear these as empty words These are the most important words I can say this morning The most important reason I have hope is because of Jesus Christ Amen. I know and believe that that he's the reason we're here He's the foundation upon which we're building our lives he is our lord and savior who we follow and if we are following jesus as toxic as things are as murky as the waters are around us he will not lead us astray right. he will continue to lead us on the path of righteousness and to be the living water that sources life in us when when everything around us seems to be like it's it's dark and it's death i have hope because of jesus christ i have hope because of the cross I have hope because of the resurrection and I have hope because I believe Jesus Christ is coming again and when I look at all of this darkness around us it feels like it's probably soon that he's coming again but I've not been given charge of that timetable so whether he comes back a long time from now or immediately I have hope because of Jesus Christ and today if you're a person who feels like you're sort of in that hopeless spot like the lady I mentioned a moment ago Would you focus your eyes on Jesus for just a moment? Would you look to the cross? Would you remember all that Jesus has done? And would you remember that today if you will will give all of your heart and life to him and place your trust in him He will not let you down Amen. And he will not lead you astray Let's pray together As our ministers make their way forward for our time of invitation Lord, I pray today for every person who is here or watching online that though we've talked about a topic and we've read from several different passages of Scripture, for these last moments that we're together, would you focus the eyes of our heart on Jesus Christ? Lord, as we look to him, would you remind us that the ultimate hope is found in Jesus because it is a hope that extends beyond our physical life. When we feel like we're foreigners and exiles here, 
we're out of place. It's a hope that reminds us that our true home is our heavenly home. And Lord, as we trust you with the future, Lord, we know that the future is in good hands. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to every heart today. Reinstitute our faith. Give us hope and encouragement. And most importantly, if there's anyone who has never looked to Jesus for the first time with all of their heart, today, Lord, as we sing one last song where we're worshiping together, would you draw our hearts to you and would you draw people to yourself? In Jesus' name, amen.